Need any vocal warm-ups? I'm just going to tell you that I started recording at about two minutes into my recording, but I will try to edit so that... Sorry, Tobes. All right. Welcome back to Unless You Ask with me, Kevin Chung. Joining me today all the way from the city of angels, the city they live in, lonely as I am, Los Angeles, California. I thought we were going to do that for a while, but I was just just finding my opening. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate your support. Um, The author of the upcoming collection of essays, Fred, co-host of... Love is a Softball Field podcast, and Best at Dressed in a Vest Award winner 2019, it's Annie Kravenschmidt. Hello. Welcome to the pod, Annie. So I, happy to have you here. I already have so many things to say, and I think immediately we need to discuss the vest. Okay. <laughs> because, because, because cause I, like, talked myself up so much in order to to wear that vest to work that day which also happened to be your first day at work. And so Mm -hmm. literally every person at work was like, nice vest. Like just, that was a wink sound. Like every person was like, oh my God, cool vest. And you were just like, you said nothing because you were just like, that's, that girl must wear that cool fucking vest all the time. Exactly. (laughs) I thought that you wore that vest every day. There's like, there's no way that this is just like a a bold choice for Annie. This is an everyday vest. Can you just, it's it's obviously an audio medium. We're not going to put a link to the vest in the description. So can you describe what this vest looks like? Honestly, it's just a plumpy navy blue material, like like not tweed, it would be tweed material, except that it's not tweed patterned. And Mm -hmm. uh, I have like in my fantasies as as a youth, like for some reason the vest always drew me in as an article of clothing. And maybe because Gilmore Girls, Lorelai Gilmore always wears vests. Um, have you reached the Role stage model. of quarantine where, where Elise has made you watch Gilmore Girls or no? I, I have not watched any okay. Gilmore Girls. Wow. Well, good for her. Um, but the point is that <laughs> I just have just thought that, I mean, obviously there's a lot of gay connotation to it. Oh, uh, said from the perspective of a queer person. Um, so like there must be some of that going on, but I don't know why I've always wanted to be able to rock a vest. And then one day I was just like, I'm going to do it. And then I did. And you had no idea that there was a whole backstory behind the vest, but that's, that's how, you know, you've pulled it off, I think. Yes. So I, um, I met Annie when I started work at the Trevor project and, uh, on my first day, uh, they were wearing this vest that we're talking about, and they were so welcoming. And I'm so glad that we've been able to stay friends. Yes. Um, beyond that, so you were you yes. were one of the great many gifts. I also was your mentor was my work wife, and so I was like trying to get in wherever I could. <laughs> and you succeeded, and here we are now. On unless you ask, and guess um, who's not here? The work wife, your mentor. <laughs> But I wish it's true. But I wish she was. Yeah, um, maybe. Yeah, maybe someday. Who knows? Yeah. We'll keep the, the long enough run. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, Annie is also a big part of the reason why I'm able to do this podcast at all. Um. 
I disagree with that. I think you would have found a way. Uh, I would have used uh, iPhone voice memos. <laughs> I wouldn't have allowed that. Yeah. Right, um, exactly. I am really... <laughs> it was just funny because... I had just recently realized that I was an expert in producing podcasts. Like I gained enough knowledge over the years that I could give advice. And so I had j literally just for a client made a deck of like, this is how you start a podcast from scratch. And then you called and you were like, I need yeah. advice. And I was like, do you have 20 minutes to go through this pre-made slides? <laughs> yeah. Made I very <laughs> offhandedly was like, Annie, like you've, you've made a podcast. Maybe like it'd be a good time to reach out and just ask. And like, let me produce your show. Yeah. Oh. Okay. And then like, oh, here's a slide deck and a like professional presentation about how to do this. Yeah. So well, I have you to thank in many ways for the level of quality. Uh, sure. That our listeners have come to expect. Right. Of course. And most ironically, like I am envious of the quality of your sound. I've already, you don't even, you didn't even notice that I switched mics in between that, that break. So I was like, <laughs> I want to get closer to what Kevin has. <laughs> uh well i um yeah i my sound is your sound annie and, and that's important to remember the sound of of the, the world the sounds of the world yes so um what how how uh would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners how and, would i and not only yourself but your topic of choice so unless yeah. you ask you know <laughs> the point is that i'm gonna um i'm gonna talk to the people that i know about things that they're interested in so um, I would love to hear a little bit about what topic you've brought for me today. Sure. Well, I was really stressed picking a topic. So I was like, I don't know anything. And then I had to remind myself that I've, you know, been to school. Um, also, you mentioned, and I will now blast you for that. The point of this podcast is that you don't have to do any work. Like, I was uh, like, here's my topic. And you're like, here's six questions, I guess. Um <laughs> They were great questions, but, um, uh, yes. So I appreciate what you, what you're doing here, which is actually, I think going to keep you sustainable, um, and relevant and, you know, the, the Kevin that we know and love. Yeah. Um, so the, the producer, as my producer, you have a real look into the backward sort of the, <laughs> the back end inner. Now that I know, I want everyone at, unless you ask fired. <laughs> yeah. You, now that you realize that. The premise is that I offload a lot of the work of coming up with what to talk about to my guests. You're like, this is going to be a bad investment in the long run. I actually changed my stance completely. I want you coming to talk to to the board about how to how to scale up that model. <laughs> OPW, <laughs> other people's work. <laughs> thank yeah, thank yeah. you. Um. Anyway, uh, I'll introduce myself, please. Excellent. Well, I'll introduce myself by saying I need no introduction. <laughs> um, uh, I, so I think the first thing that I feel compelled to do is to be, to tell you my pronouns, but I, it's such a confusing part of my life that I dread it and I shouldn't because the whole point is that we should feel flexy about our, about our pronouns. And yeah. I'm in kind of a weird in between space right now where I'm like, I feel very tied to my womanhood, but also identify as like pretty non-binary. Um, I mean, you saw the vest and just kidding. That's obviously not a reason to identify in a certain way. Um, but I do like, I don't, you know, it's really a weird gray area and part of the discomfort has been put onto people as opposed to a genuine like, if we lived in a world without any labels, then I would never have to bother being like, 
this is how I identify it. But um, mm -hmm. I am in kind of a weird limbo where I want everyone to share their pronouns. For instance, I haven't noticed if you've shared your pronouns yet on the podcast, our host. I have not. Yes. And I would be happy to. My pronouns are he, him. Thank you, Kevin. Um, I Yeah. So I think she, her, or they, them right now is what I'm doing um, mm -hmm. with a caveat that like, I'm really leaning into the, the, the non-binary gender these days into, in sense of, and more in the sense of I'm leaning into like an agender. Mm -hmm. I don't talk, I don't think about it that often, but there's, there's gotta be resources out there for me to find and I will look for them and figure it out. Um, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I'm, um, I've known you for, I guess, since a, 2019. A year? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, oh it's yeah, two up, years. It's coming up on two years. <laughs> yeah, we're coming yes. up on two. Um, so that's that's actually like a pretty recent amount of time. But I imagine that this is something that's kind of like a a long term journey that you're not at the end of, and maybe you never get to the end of it. You know? It's yeah, just exactly. Like a I mean, that's the exact question: is like, is there an end goal here? I don't even know. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it is like you actually are. You kind of caught me at the beginning where it was like. I was like, I need to be ladylike, and uh, not to not to plug it, but the book explores a lot of that too. Is just like, what does it mean to feel the need to be a woman, and then what happens when you when you don't feel the need to conform in that way? And mm -hmm. uh, I think Trevor, you know, I didn't like working there for a lot of reasons, and we don't have to. I'm not going to talk about it, but I, um, the one thing I did like was having so many queer people in a room meant that there was a little more room to define yourself uh, further than just like, I'm your gay friend, you know, because there's yeah. so many different ways to be queer. And so, and I got to meet really inspiring people who taught me a lot about gender and the binary and how I can, I can be a woman, but also be gender queer and I can kind of explore what that means and so I think steadily like you caught you caught me right as I was finishing my my life as a very trying to be I know I know I wasn't successful but like trying to present as at least moderately femme um you caught me right at the end of that and then like I think I slowly cut my hair shorter and shorter and then this summer I shaved it because I was like I'm not going to see anyone for a year so yeah but what better time than now I know. Um, yeah, I found that the it was also that was something also that I appreciated about about being there um, was that there was a lot of room for sort of questioning what what things we assumed about ourselves. Like, is this the gender that I really feel the most comfortable? In? Exactly. Like, is, is this exactly how I want to be? Yeah, like, exactly. Or yeah. even just like. Um, I don't know if it was it was you or another. I I'll start since my topic is feminism. I will confirm that I I dislike most men, <laughs> but then I meet gems, and th and so that was obviously a joke. It's not that I inherently dislike men, but I do think I really dislike a lot of the way that how we socialize men comes out in a lot of men that I know, and therefore I am like repelled from that behavior uh, when I. <laughs> first came out to my dad he was like yeah i noticed you don't like men very much <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> i was like uh 
actually, and and now looking back, I'm like, I have three or four really, really trusted good friends who are identify as men and I love them a lot. And it's like, they're definitely lacking in some qualities in other men that I despise. And so I don't think that I hate men. I just think that I don't like some of the ways that, that our traditional socialization of men comes out. So um, that's all a very convoluted and, and confusing statement to make. But the point is, I am really drawn to you and have loved you from the minute you step foot in the office. Actually, I think the moment I <laughs> knew that I needed to be your friend was your first Friday. You were like, yo, is this dance party real? Because I'd like to dance. <laughs> and and you had come in as this kind of soft-spoken, um, our one tech guy <laughs> in, the, in the whole office. You were like, well, and another one, but but you were the only one that I knew of. And you were there to code. And I was like, he's the, he's here to code. And then he, you... Um, you messaged me and you were like, is this for real? Cause I, I, I want to get my dance on. And I thought you yeah. were joking and you're like, no, I freaking love dancing. And Turned then I was to like, be a huge ham. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then from, and then my, the moment that I was like, Kevin is a friend that I want forever is when we were at lunch and you talked about going to dance classes as like fitness. And, um, you talked about being one of the only guys in the room and, um, Anyway, I thought that was really wonderful. And I just like the image of you in a room just because for the love of dance, I was like this guy and I. And then we have danced many yeah. times. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I uh, hate that's to. That's so sweet, Annie. Thank you. <laughs> of course. I hate to reminisce on a podcast, but. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. I we're Listen, we haven't been able to see each other or I lots know. of people that yeah. we want to see in so long. That's a big you know, part of why I wanted to do this. So yeah, so uh, I, it's all good. <laughs> and I, yeah, really well, my, that. my favorite, one of our favorite dance memories, I think I can speak for you when I say this is that we went to <laughs> a live band in Brooklyn. To, oh man. Yeah. That and, was a good. And at some point I wasn't even there, but it's so good. You turn to our other friend who was with us and you say, I love this live band. I'm just a little bummed because it's not like they're going to play Toxic by Britney Spears. And within <laughs> yeah, minutes, in their range. the song that they played was Toxic by Britney. I mean, it's just... A slam dunk of a rendition. Wow. Too. Like, wow. So good. Wow. I mean, that's when you know that the, the stars are aligning for us as in terms of our long-term journey together. I do want to point out that this was like a... a through the decades uh dance night yeah I don't so it go definitely to like a modern club and think to myself man <laughs> i can't wait for them to throw down toxic yeah it was definitely we, we were waiting <laughs> i mean i do i we were waiting for our favorite hits of the decades and mm -hmm. you were like damn they're this is great that they're doing this live band review of our lives but yeah toxic yeah. won't be on there and then boom bam yeah, I didn't see the cello. I think they like they busted out some kind of string instrument for what? that. Like, <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah who exactly. Doesn't know. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay, I see what they're doing. Anyway, uh. <laughs> uh, it's just the the many wonderful things that that uh, a life in New York can offer, which is why yeah. I left. A friendship forged in dance and pod. Dance and pod, yeah, is one for the ages. Yeah, at least one for an audience. <laughs> yes. Um, so you mentioned, you briefly alluded to this earlier, but you said that uh, you had trouble coming up with a topic and then you remembered your education. So I'm actually very curious. 
I remember that I have, a, I have a master's degree. I forgot about that. I often forget. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and the people often forget. <laughs> the people so. often forget. Um, so let us remind them. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, yeah, so I'm curious what you studied or like what, you know, yeah. that, it's not from that long ago, right? So No, not at all. I mean, I, I now it is a few years, but what when I had met you, it was like nine months earlier I'd graduated. So yeah. I uh, went to Duke as an undergraduate and I unsurprisingly didn't enjoy myself very much. Um, and then I, some reason went back to get my master's. It actually turned out to be like really great. Cause I was, it was almost like fulfilling all of the things I didn't do. Um, in case anyone's wondering, my dog is snoring very <laughs> loudly. Um, but that's not professional. It's not. Yeah, it's a bad sign. We we didn't in, entertain Toby enough with the first part of the mm -hmm. pod. Yeah, I think Toby's this not a fan speaks, of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. The, speaks for the audience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> audience surrogate. Uh, go on, sorry. No, I so I went back. Ended up being great to like redo all the things that I wish I had done as an undergraduate, and like actually felt much more at home there the second time. Um, so I ended up. I met. When I first got there, I was like, I don't belong here. I don't think that I'm doing this right. Like, I, I, I think this is a mistake. And it does seem like generally the MPP degree was not the one that I needed. But I was very fortunate to meet a professor who was more of an academic professor. A lot of practitioners were centered in this program. So to meet someone who was heavily in research and heavily in kind of social theories, uh, just ideating about what goes on in the world he ended up becoming like a good mentor to me. And so um, I had talked to him about a theory of mine that um, that there are certain obligations, because I grew up in, an, in a very, quote, liberal area, well, mm -hmm. quote, liberal, end quote, area. And um, it's should have been easier I think for me to come out and I thought I just like I've dwelled on that that question and um confusion for so long and so I had had started with this kind of theory like oh there are certain restrictions placed on um wealthy people not to like cry to play a violin for wealthy people that are held on to these <laughs> restrictions but like um there's a certain restriction when you get to a certain point in society that they don't want to see deviance and they, they take that really seriously so mm -hmm. so less like well anyway i won't get i won't get into that um obviously i've just alluded to the fact that i grew up in a wealthy area but that and i'll confirm it for you i won't hide from that but <laughs> i um was wondering what's the deal with in some sort of internal agony i felt about not being an appropriately femme woman and what I what was the agony about like not having the future that my my family and friends were gonna have hmm. so that was kind of like the initial uh, I have questions about the world and then we ended up developing together the idea that I should research women I should research like successful women and and then I ended up building my master's project off of that so while a lot of people were doing more client-oriented projects which is what we were supposed to do I ended up doing like a data gathering um, project for my thesis and um, when one you of say the client-oriented 
<laughs> what does that mean? It's the it's let's deep. just leave all of that unspoken. All right, um, sounds no, good. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's like that's um, not what we're here to talk about. Right? There's a there's a visual account for that. It it's um, the MPP degree, the Master's of Public Policy, is very much oriented around doing work for clients who are asking policy questions, like what should we do about X. And mm-hmm. so the the MPP degree prepares you to tackle that question in a concise report and then generate the answer for the client. So it's like, here are your four approaches. I recommend X. And there's a certain degree of, of, um, boringness to that for me. I'm not saying it's boring for other people, but like, Toby could not be snoring louder. (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's totally fine. Um, so I, it, it's, it's not interesting to me only because one, I hate <laughs> working for other people, which is a horrible quality to have in this world Two, You'll notice as soon as you mentioned you having a podcast, I was like, I'm your boss now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're not, you don't treat and, me like, and I tried to turn now. around and be like, can we talk about, uh, can I talk about your therapy practices on this podcast? I was I was prepared to fully grill you about uh, about your mental health when before I remembered that I have a master's degree, and so that was going to be your topic. Well, I was I really you big said fan tarot reading. No, oh yeah, we still could do that later uh, for an after beep. But I, um, I, <laughs> I was going to do a Brene Brown segment because I'm such a huge fan of hers. But part of that was going to involve me interrogating you and your mental health practices. Interesting. And kind then, of turning it on the head yeah. unless and then I was you like, ask Kevin. <laughs> exactly. And then when you said, I see that you're putting the onus back on me, I was like, oh, okay, let me, let me play his game. Um, <laughs> and by agreeing to play his game, I now re- reclaim my power. But I... <laughs> <laughs> I... Um, so, oh yeah, yeah you're, so you're, I was not a fan of the client work right. and I I didn't think that it fostered a lot of creativity for me. It didn't mm-hmm. like it didn't let me do a lot of like niche research and or follow rabbit holes that I really wanted to follow. So we agreed to do an academic report instead of a client report. And that meant that I could spend a lot of time during the day just like reading about social psychology and reading about gender and so um my project was terrible and I <laughs> really don't like it um, only because I think it was just like one tiny, tiny piece of something that's so much bigger, which is, I mm-hmm. guess, the point of academic research. But what I did was um, when I was an undergrad, I briefly rushed. I briefly joined a sorority before promptly dropping out because when they started talking about the clothing I needed to buy to be on the other mm-hmm. end of rush, I was like, there's no way in hell I'm going to wear those heels. So um I had heard tell about this study that said that women enter Duke with really high confidence and leave Duke with really low confidence. And that Mm. men, I mean, again, this is in the binary, men enter Duke with with medium confidence. I won't say low confidence. I think that they're probably pretty confident. And then leave with really high confidence. And I was like, what is going on here that uh, these amazing women are... (laughs) are being drained of their confidence and yeah. these schlubby men are just soaring and then going they're, on they're stealing it and then going on to be the Stephen Millers of the world you know yeah, so right. um let's not forget so uh that was kind of a it's a really perplexing I mean even, even just giving that as an anecdote is like everyone's like 
oh my gosh. And also now having witnessed it in person and being like, damn, like all these women I know are feeling really are doubting themselves and not going for mm -hmm. jobs that they should or what have you. And they're all totally competent. And, um, I tried to do a study. They had done the study like 10 years ago. They did a report about it when Duke had its only woman president of the university and then no one did anything about it. And like, there was no, it was always just talked about as a whisper thing. It was like, Oh yeah. Everyone knows that there's this weird gender thing at Duke. Not to mention we have one of the highest sexual assault rates in the country. Um, and just to blast Duke and this Dean of students, Larry Manetta for a second, not afraid to go there. Um, Kevin, yeah, Kevin, this, no responsibility <laughs> falls on producer, your shoulders. So exactly. You can um, say whatever you want because we, I know it'll be approved. <laughs> yeah. By the boss. I, exactly. Full, full, I will take full responsibility for this, but I had a meeting with him to discuss my project and he was like, I don't think we have a gender problem here. And mm -hmm. I was like, I mean, can we talk about the, the rate of, um, two fifths of women having left here with having been sexually assaulted? And he was like, I think the only reason that number is so high is because we have better science. And I was like, you are a disgusting piece of shit. Wow. Um, yeah, cause like awful. it could be true, but not the appropriate response to give, I think. No. <laughs> um, anyone who cares about the issue would have a different response prepared. Um, all that told me was that like he cared more about about saving face than actually getting to the heart of the problem, because right. um, uh, any number is atrocious. You know, yeah. that's a, there's a crime happening on campus. That's an atrocious thing, and you don't want to be like our statistics are just more true. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting to me. I didn't realize how much of sort of your education experience was also wrapped up into the the place itself or not that your education experience, but your, no. what you were studying. Mm -hmm. So that's, I was very, that's another, why I kind of briefly said it was nice to like redo all the things I didn't do. Cause I was able to mm -hmm. have this experience as an undergrad and then do a science about my experience as an undergrad because I left just like empty an empty shell of myself. And, um, I needed to know why. And I needed to know why I went from a 17 year old, like, I was a cool high schooler where I was, I definitely had some depression and mental health issues, but I generally was just like a devil may care. <laughs> well, not in that sense, like more like uh, I would wear a, a, a <laughs> zany colored Patagonia than a leather jacket. But, um, but I didn't care what I looked like and I didn't care what I dressed mm -hmm. like and no one seemed to care. And then I got to Duke and all of a sudden I became very self-conscious about everything that I was doing and so yeah. stressed. And so, um, like I went from being a student who was like, I'll accept a minuses or B pluses. I don't really care. It doesn't change how I feel about myself to suddenly I caring a lot about getting solid A's. And I spent time yeah. worrying about how to go from an A minus to an, I was, it was just wild that I, that I started caring about that so much. Um, yeah, there's some extent to which I think that, uh, there's, I, I relate to that experience, not when I went to college, but just coming from the West coast to the East coast. Yeah, I, that's and true it's too. Not a, it's not a whole coast thing. It's like a big generalization, but I, I too like think that you can get away with not caring about more on the mm -hmm. West coast. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I talked a bit in New York when you're, I now live on the West coast again, but um, Los Angeles. So let's, what's up? So let's cue the chili peppers. Um, you and I talked about like missing people from the West coast. Cause I do think that there's a certain yeah. something to, to 
um, West Coasters, like not being bound by some of the older uh, traditions of the East Coast and the older. We're just more chill. Just more chill. Um, and I kind of hate that too, because like then we get filled with with the Mark Zuckerbergs and the and the Jeff Bezoses of the world who are like. I'm just going to break the rules. And so there's a certain amount of that that I hate, but also, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's just a certain stress and certain value system that I, I don't know, I just feel more grounded on the West Coast. And anyway, mm-hmm. the point is not to, to dwell on that. The point is that, like, I had talked to people who went to different colleges who ended up having a great time. And I was like, if I was supposed to spend my whole life trying to get to this point at Duke, why is it that I've gotten here and now I'm miserable. Um, mm-hmm. It can't be me. Um, and I can't be that I'm not intelligent enough was the, th- <laughs> the thought that kept going through my head. It, even it though. actually can't, though. <laughs> so. I mean, I don't know. The fact, <laughs> I mean, it's like you're gathering. In there's, some, there's something to be said about all the people that are, like, scoring a certain amount on their tests in one room. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, I, I didn't see that stress stress out the men in my life at Duke. Like, like I, they, both things can be true about, about everyone where everyone is now the top of, went from being the top of their class to being the medium. But that problem seemed to really dig at women more than it did at the men that I interacted with. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of what led me to like explore whether women do have this perfectionism. The term effortless perfection was something that came up in the original report of 10 years ago um, and has been used freely since then. But I think that is the first known use of the term was from this Duke report. Hmm. Um, And there are synonyms out there. If you go to different schools, I know that Stanford has the Stanford duck syndrome where it's like, you look like you're fine on top, but you're you're kicking around on the bottom. Um, uh, all sorts of, you know, either you're using that term or you have an equivalent term, which just describes that people are trying to make it look like they're okay and they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously... So you, you set out to to understand this sort of, like, phenomenon at... at yeah, Duke. exactly. So I set out to, like, really try and get a little further, and it was co- very convenient that these scientists at a Midwestern, big one of the big M schools... Michigan um (laughs) create I'm just gonna choose one if I can't remember um Montana was not it though so it wasn't in Michigan (laughs) um you said big m schools I assume that I like didn't know that's like a a group of the big m's (laughs) is that a real thing (laughs) no it was like I knew it was either Minnesota or Michigan um Michigan yeah I think so too and um they created a 10 point inventory whether to like gauge whether you have this effortless perfection system in your body and when i ended up actually dispersing this this study i found that there was no difference between the men and the women in the classroom having this number and if anything it wasn't statistically um guaranteed what do you say Mm -hmm. it wasn't statistically statistically significant significant but men had an average higher rate of effortless perfectionism which was would be extremely unusual considering that we focused all of that talk on men, on women. Got Again, I'm really speaking in the binary here, but that's where my brain was before I learned the truth about gender being a construct. So anyway, the point is that um, what ended up happening was my results were like, this is useless. I mean, all I know is that this is a no. Like 
All, all I can tell you is that this isn't the avenue we should be going down in terms of trying to understand, which feels a little silly because you're like, I thought I found the thing and now I know mm. that there's maybe a million other things that it could be. Um, Interesting. Not to quote Einstein, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it was a little aggravating, but then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to graduate and leave. And also it just opened the door for me to ask more questions and like, is there something about acting like a woman that you're you're trying to conform to the ways that social ideals want you to where guys can feel comfortable doing something that women can't? You know, is it more about our more entrenched values about men and women than it is about something happening at Duke? I don't know. So there, I just ended up getting to talk about to a lot of women and I ended up getting to do a lot of side research about feminism that I obviously didn't get to include in the report, but it just let me have the freedom to read all about it. And that was really great. Mm -hmm. So now I feel cool. kind of like a pseudo expert in the sense that I had to read a lot of books. And then I ended up diving hard into, into feminism as a passion and, um, hating the patriarchy as a passion. So yeah. the the research itself is less relevant than it is the kind of inciting yeah. moment yeah. in my life. How it how it set up this uh, educational journey that went beyond grad school. Yeah, because I was what basically this was <laughs> it was a selfish project of like why am I so scared to do the things that I want to do? Mm. And um having done the research and now been out of Duke for many years, I'm like okay, so like I had to unlearn a lot of rules about or I had to see all the ways that I've been silenced. I have to see all the ways that I've been talked down to and then develop um, the confidence to go do art, which um, this is now like a new thesis of mine, <laughs> unrelated, but art is um, really difficult for women, I think, to pursue because it requires a lot of stable ego and, and like confidence that, that we may not have... Um, supported yeah. in us for a while right i i can uh i can see that in in some you know in my personal life to some degree yeah i mean i can see you <laughs> some dude just texted me like i want to start a podcast yeah. and then within Full a week he confidence. had his first guest and then i have to like i tried i had a, a mimicked a, almost the exact same call with my friend and i was like you can do it like you can. So it was just really fascinating. Not this is obviously not a knock on you. I wish everyone had Kevin Chung's confidence. Had the, yeah, had the foot on the <laughs> gas mindset that I had right. to start a pod as uh, as quickly and as right. as well thought out as this one. But it's true that like all it what what I think for creative pursuits like you really have to just go and try yes. it. And you I, have to, I totally agree with that. Like you have to f be willing to fail fast. And I know that's a really stupid business term that people talk about, but yeah. like, but I think that failure piece was what I've been trying to was, has been dancing around for the, the fear of failure in women is very intense. Yeah. And over the years I've just been like, it makes more and more sense to me because, um, then you can start talking about model minority myths and like, how the stakes are higher for women like you don't get away with stuff look at the media talking about hillary clinton like the list of all the classic uh uh women news <laughs> can go yeah. on and on that we're all familiar with which is like notice how you call aoc a crazy bitch when she does says something totally rational um all of that so all of 
the idea that you can't fail. I have just built it into this giant, like I have this weird geometric vision of the world that's all about peaks and and power and who has it and how hard it is to attain it when you're not part of the classic class that that has access to it so yeah it's the bar is is always higher for Mm -hmm. women and it's like enforced that way beforehand it makes total sense that you know people of a non uh that aren't men are are constantly trying to kind of build up the same level of confidence that a lot of men have inherently and i've tried to in your questions one of the questions I don't remember which one made me think about how to phrase this because I don't I think that maybe what I'm studying is not necessarily even feminism it's more like power and um and structure and mm-hmm. like I, women white women are guilty of a lot of things I'm a white woman 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 I don't <laughs> said a lot of women today um but so I'm I'm part of this group that's also perpetuated a lot of inequality in the way that we've either, I don't know, uh, not acknowledged the black women and Latina women and, and, and other queer women and stuff like that who mm-hmm. are more marginalized and doing this huge amount of work and labor for our society. Um, so it's just more, I'm trying to like broaden, I just don't have a term for how to broaden it away from men versus women to talk right. more about people who have power versus people who don't is what I'm really trying to get at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, do you, f- this is, I think this is somewhat related to something that I, I wrote down ahead of time, but nice, Kevin. The, do you, do you feel like feminism, um, is is kind of enforcing a binary is that is the idea that like men are meant <laughs> to be or sorry women and men are meant to be treated equally <laughs> um <laughs> no i it's a great yeah it's a great question and i actually went to a talk right before the world fell apart i but the very last thing i went to was a talk with two of my favorite writers slash theorists um, Leslie Jameson and Rebecca Solnit and they're both feminist writers and I respect them both Rebecca Solnit I think definitely you listed the waves of feminism for me which I didn't even know which makes me a really terrible scholar but um, seems more from that third wave and then Leslie Jameson I'm not I mean it probably to do due to their relative ages mm-hmm. um, Leslie Jameson is more from the maybe bordering on the fourth wave for me. Um, And she seemed a little more receptive to my question, which I asked, which was how do we bring in people? How do we bring people into feminism when feminism has been so often dominated by white feminism? So like, how do Mm. we, how do we talk about this and unify multiple identities like coming? And I said, like as someone who's kind of non-binary, like, I am so here for feminism, but I know many people wouldn't want to be part of a movement that is so like gender oriented. Mm-hmm. So it's a really great question that you're asking, which is, um, is this about a binary? Is this about like equalizing the two sexes? And I, uh, sex being a, a biological term, of course, but, and that's an even more complicated question. Cause once you do that, you'll see that as soon as white women start to succeed, women of color start to then 
make less money. It's like its whole, what the stakes of white women succeeding is then the the relative lack of success. Like they're not, if if women in general, the average of is like in some arbitrary measurement are soaring, you'll see mm-hmm. that the major soaring is happening with white women. And then they're not, we're not seeing that soaring translate into women of color. So, mm-hmm. um, so you could have a world where the average income is the same for white men and white women, but then what does that mean for the people that aren't white? So, um, that's why it's such a, I definitely am in that fourth. I think I started all of my research talking about women and men, and it was really helpful for me to do that. But now it's just a lack of terminology I have that's holding me back from being able to identify what my feminism is actually about. Like I, I don't, is it just about power and how to dismantle it? Is it just about, um, traditional purveyors of power and how do we equalize it i don't know yeah i I like thinking about it in terms of power because that is kind of abstracting away the parts of it that uh the parts of feminism that whose goal is to kind of like create a more just and and exactly field and and it can leave more space for groups who you know, maybe don't have less power, but are harder to define in this like a strictly gender binary way or exactly. in this kind of like generalized, like grouping all women together way. And um, uh, not for nothing that, I don't know, feminism itself has been co-opted for weird like pro-capitalist movements. So it's yeah. it's like not, it's kind of not doing the thing that you want it to do, which is to just kind of restructure. Um, I just wanted to add this small point, which I knew I had to include, which is very interesting, mm-hmm. um, which is that they have done, now I cannot cite this, so whatever. Um, unnecessary for Unnecessary. This I just don't remember which library social science book I picked this out of when I was doing my master's project, but... Um, there's this myth that women <laughs> who are feminists hate men. And I know that I joked that I hate men, but like actually feminists who are on, you know, working towards feminism are very optimistic about the equality, like the general equality. Like it's not about women taking over and stripping men of their, of their, of their humanness. It's like they, they are more optimistic than women who are not interested in feminism at all and so if that i don't know if that made sense to you you yeah i think so 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 yeah if you're saying that you know the idea of being a feminist isn't that you hate men in fact often feminists people who identify as feminists are more optimistic about how men and women and and people of all genders can work together or like be (laughs) be more equal in the future yeah exactly so it's and it's that was a really hopeful statistic to me because I mean there's a lot of things in that little paragraph that I read, but one of them is just that oh yeah you fight because you care you don't fight because you're fucking giving up on the world like you yeah, are or trying to like put down men mm-hmm, exactly the goal is not to um, emasculate the goal is just to elevate mm-hmm. other people that haven't been elevated and then. The other statistic that I thought was really interesting, um, so juicy, is that they did these twin inventories of like benevolence. So um, 
when men say things like, can I not open the door for a woman anymore? Um, and things like that. And it's like, yes, of course, you as a human, you may open and hold the door for another human anytime you want. But people who held on to the belief that they were meant to protect women and um, take them out to dinner and treat them nicely. And that's like there, that's many people's, uh, I actually, <laughs> there's someone loathsome in my Facebook feed who hosts seminars for men being like, this is how you treat a woman nice. I would never mm -hmm. let a woman pay for my dinner. And it's just like this bonkers thing, which mm -hmm. comes out of the sense of chivalry. So, so, or responsibility or feeling like that's what makes you a good man. Um, yeah. And they've actually done studies that people who are, who believe those things, like a woman should be treated well and a woman should be held up on a pedestal and taken care of. Sort of as a, as a sign of like performing well as a man. Right. People who believe in that about their relationship with women also score higher on being aggressively like malicious towards women. Mm, yeah. So because if you do those things and you expect, it's like, I, I followed the right exactly what a man should do and like right and now I'm gonna remind to you yeah exactly aren't, yeah aren't happening so I'm entitled to this sort of right. result so so when I hear people talk about like oh so I can't hold the door anymore I'm like I'm like you can but that also means that you have a dangerous side like it's like <laughs> the science is in the favor that that yeah it what? is not a respect it's not respectful towards women to to have those beliefs is contrary to what those belief havers may say it's like yeah. the, the inventory is very clear that that the that the same group that holds women up on a on a pedestal and wants to support them in that traditionalist way is also the same group that holds really negative views towards women yeah they they want to be rewarded for for that what they're yeah. really saying is like oh i like they they don't want the the right to hold a door open for someone they want the right to like be given something in return for that or yeah, like to and be to have control yeah exactly for, right for yeah for so like anyway i love thinking about that statistic because i'm like first of all there's just some proof that it's being holding on to these chivalrous chivalrous ideals does not a, a good respecter of women make so yeah right um and we're not saying that you should never open a door <laughs> for someone. You should close the just, door. And also, <laughs> close the door and stand there and make them test their strength. How? <laughs> give them the Force opportunity them to, to, to yeah. grow. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a good message. <laughs> Shut, like, just lock people out and let them figure it out. Exactly. The real woman um, will break the glass door. <laughs> so, Annie, we've been going for about... 40 plus minutes so no I would be i would be down to take a little bit of a break okay. and then maybe we can keep talking does that yeah, sound good that sounds i'm not even close to being done with you yet yeah exactly all right <laughs> so so why cool. don't we take a little break and then i'll uh i'll we'll come back all right water those pipes mm. <laughs> sounds good Thank you, everybody. We ended up making this a two-parter. So thank you for listening to part one of Feminism with Annie Krabenschmidt. I would love to have you as a guest on the show. If you're interested, please email unlessyapod at gmail.com. That's unlessyapod at gmail.com. 
You can check out Bread People Productions, all the projects they're working on, and get in touch at breadpeopleproductions.com. For making it to the end of the episode, I'd like to reward you with a little secret. Um, And my little secret this week is that I like to sleep on a very firm mattress.